I've asked the ushers to dim the lights a little bit as we read the text. It's a little bit of a long text, and it's a very evocative text. If you want to follow along, maybe your screen is more helpful with the backlight. This text was designed to be read. So I'm going to encourage you to to take a minute and take a breath and consider how best you can let these words and images wash over you. Revelation is far more something that grips us than we fully understand, and yet it is for us. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and all around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were seven burning Before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to scroll, to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, 
And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Thanks, Jeff. Well done with the lights. How many of you thought of Clueless when I said that? Trying to design a lighting concept? No? Okay. That's not in my notes. Is there enough stuff to talk about in these two chapters? Who's excited? How much time you got? The throne is a really important part of the book of Revelation. It has 22 chapters, and in 17 of them, there's a throne. Twice, it's a, it's a negative throne, not this one. It's a different throne for uh, one to one of the churches and once for the beast. But in the other 15 chapters, it's a reminder of what followers of Christ do. The most fundamental thing we do. The most profound activity available to an image bearer is to worship. Which means that the throne is more important than Armageddon. Boy, it doesn't sound like it, does it? I mean, that sentence just sounds silly, but it's not biblically. It means the throne is more important than the millennium. One of the parts of the revelation that confuses most of us. In studying for this, I do not feel more confident about that section of Revelation chapter 20. And you know why? It's good news regardless. The throne is more important than that. The throne is more important than the Antichrist. And what's happening to these Turkish Christians who are listening to this circular letter being read to them is they're being persecuted by an emperor named Domitian. Nero has died. His persecutions are over. They're being persecuted by him. And this image that Jesus gave to John of what's happening in heaven encouraged them, gave them strength. And it is supposed to do the same for you and for me. Boy, there's a lot going on, though. There's a rainbow that looks like an emerald. What does that mean? I know this. The rainbow is incredibly significant because as things start to happen in the book of Revelation, horrible, destructive things, God at no point has forgotten his promise of mercy. Do you remember that the rainbow is a symbol of God's mercy that he will not again destroy the earth? And so around the throne literally is a reminder that his mercies are part of even this. What's about to happen? The jewel imagery of this text is fascinating, isn't it? Because it's not clear how the jewels are involved because John is so awestruck by what he's seeing His only explanation is that there must be jewels involved because what do jewels do? They refract light. So as there's thunder and lightning and and brilliant, beautiful light, it seems to be refracted. So he assumes that jewels are involved. As far as I can tell, the most disagreed about part of this is the sea. 
around the glassy sea. Have you, again, have you sang holy, holy, holy before? You're singing Revelation 4. I love to sing the scriptures, especially ones like this. Uh, the sea is, is tricky because... Um, in especially Revelation, the sea is both literal and symbolic. Here's my guess. I'm not going to go through the four arguments about what the sea might be that I've read. I'm sure there are more. There are always more when it comes to Revelation. I believe it is the, the uh, dividing wall between the holiness of God and the sin of men and women. God cannot be near evil because he is entirely good. Heaven is a separate plane of existence where he resides, it's so important to locate him. Did you notice that in the Lord's Prayer that we locate God, our Father who is in heaven? Why do we do that? Because from heaven he sees. Like S-E-E-S, not to get confused with the S-E-A. He knows your yesterday and today and tomorrow. And so there is a division between what is holy and what is not. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't see and know your yesterday, today, and tomorrow. There's thunder and lightning, I think, portraying the power. There's a scroll. What's the scroll? What's written in the scroll? It is front and back. Some of you don't like to print things on front and back. This could be textual evidence that you're supposed to. Probably not, though. (laughs) From the book of Isaiah, we would actually learn that the scroll is God's plan to set all things to rights. God created the world and he called it good and he existed before the creation of the world but he gave freedom and real love to his creatures which means they could rebel against him and we did. He sent his son ransoming a people for God from chapter 5 but we're waiting. We're still in the presence of sin and death. The world is not as it is supposed to be. The scroll is the plan. The scroll is the rest of the revelation. Do you notice that God that John begins to speak about God and then he just moves beyond that? Because he knows that even with apocalyptic language, even with prophetic language, God is beyond our imaginations. And my, the, abil- the ability, the reason I can tell you what all those things are in Revelation 4 and 5, and we haven't even gotten into all the, the creatures, is not because I've been to seminary. The reason isn't because I know Greek and Hebrew. The reason isn't because I have a magic code book. The reason is the Old Testament. If you long to be gripped by revelation, the key to understanding it is in the Old Testament. There are 403 verses in the Revelation and 550 allusions to the Old Testament in the book. Which means, if you long to understand one of these things, any, any one of them, literally, any one of the images, any one of the creatures, any one of the jewels, Google it with respect to Old Testament and this chapter of Revelation. I don't normally encourage you to Google things because crazy things can happen. We know that. But each verse in Revelation is referencing other visions that God has given to His people, other promises that He has made, and it fills our understanding. And the book becomes less mysterious. 
This was one of the images that I found of the throne. And I still don't love it. Because it's not moving. So there's the emerald that's around the rainbow and we can't see God. And there are the seven spirits, which means the Holy Spirit is not limited. It is complete and can cover the whole earth. There are the beasts. I don't know if this is a helpful image to you. I think it needs to move. And we would need to dim the lights and there would need, we, would need, we need 3D glasses. I don't know. The throne is a busy place. And one of the first things we notice about the busyness of it are these elders. And in the book of Revelation, because of the, the cycle that God set up of sevens, you know, it's the only part of our calendar that we don't get from how heavenly things spin. Sorry, science people, I'm just not going to do well with this. I'll let you explain it next time. But our days and our months and our years are dependent upon the spinning of the earth and the earth spinning around the sun, and even look to a lesser extent the moon. But where do we get seven? We got seven from God, who said that here is completeness to your life, is to work six days and rest on the seventh. Seven is a very important number for Revelation, both as a literal number, the number of churches, and as a symbolic number, also for you and for me. And number 24 is a much less frequently used number, but I think we know where it comes from. When God called a people to himself in order to tell them all about true worship of the true God in the Old Testament, he called them the 12 tribes of Israel. When Jesus began to speak about the kingdom and perform miracles and tell people that he is God and forgiveness is through him, he called 12 disciples. At the end of the revelation, these 24 individuals' names are written on the new heavens and new earth, when it physically descends onto our earth and recreates it. Their names are written on the walls in chapter 22. And what's so encouraging about this is God never forgets his people. Any of them. This was probably written and began to be circulated in the late 90s. Jerusalem has been destroyed. And there are men and women that grew up Jewish that were following Jesus. There were men and women who were Jewish and were afraid. There were men and women who were Christians. And they hear 24 elders and they're imagining what John saw in his vision. And they understand God never forgets his people. And what are the elders holding? They're holding your prayers. I get so, our prayers sometimes feel like a mist for all that they seem to do. And as we let the book of Revelation wash over it, us, as we let it grip us, as we listen to it and read it, we can't but note that our prayers have immense power. God not only hears you, your prayers are powerful. We'll see in the next chapter that we'll talk about next week how that power we will see I'll just say it that way we'll see the power of prayer in the very next chapter and then there are these beasts I wonder how many eyes they had it's mentioned twice that they had eyes basically all over them I occasionally when I'm sometimes I get stuck in terms of what's the next part of the sermon or whatever when I'm writing I occasionally look up the brick testament any of you ever look up the brick testament 
It's a guy that put together um, as many scenes as he could. I think it's a guy, actually. I don't know. Um, someone who put together as many scenes as he could of the Bible with Legos. And this particular chapter is a really fun one to reference in the Brick Testament. And I think he did about uh, 15 eyes. Now, wait on that one. No, we weren't there yet. But we'll, we'll, come back, we'll come back to the Irish angel. With the hair color and he's pale, right? Didn't he seem pale? He seemed pale to me. I'm just guessing. I don't... I don't. Anyway, with the beasts, they're, they're just covered in stickers, but Legos are small, so he'd go about 15. How many eyes did John see covering the front and the back? What is the point of these beasts? It's not the first time we see beasts in Scripture. It's not the first time we hear about six wings. The beasts represent creation in terms of living creatures. They represent the nobility of predator in the lion, the strength of beasts of burden in the ox, the wisdom of the image bearer. So it was a creature had the face of a human and the swiftness of those things that fly. Creation also worships God, though it does so differently than an image bearer. And so the, the throne is full of the worship of God, not only from individuals that uh, profess faith and are followers of him, not only of angels, but also of creation itself. This is creation itself in its completeness. Four is a, um, is a symbol of earthly completion, as in the four angels that hold back the winds. That means covering the entire earth. So the earth also worships God and waits for him to recreate, to make it new. The creation itself is broken. We'll see that more next week as the seals are broken. The angels feel kind of like an afterthought in this, don't they? Go ahead and put up the angel. So what I like about this is... Something about this angel struck John differently than all the other creatures. And so there's an extra word, mighty. Go ahead and take that off. But what was different? What was different about this angel? How did he not look like the beasts and the elders? Was he larger? Was he faster? Was it, it's not a he. Angels are not he, she. But what was different? I want to know. John describes other things more vividly. And I really hope that your understanding of angels, because it overlaps with your understanding of the power and majesty and sovereignty of God, is not overly affected by the way we have just destroyed the word cherub. Do you know what the Old Testament word cherubim, well, that's the plural, cherub means? What? (laughs) Thank you. It means a winged serpent. Do you know what seraphim means? It means a winged sphinx. This is not a sweet little creature that may or may not whisper in your ear. This is a being of might and power who does the will of God. We haven't even talked about heaven. I probably should have talked about it where it is in my notes, which is with the rainbow and the jewels and the sea and the thunder and lightning and the scroll. Why are they in heaven? Where is heaven? There's a door? What did the door look like? It is important to, to 
well, we can live in the tension that uh, heaven is, um, man, there are a lot of things about heaven. And typically, when scripture references it, it does not reference more than one or two of those at a time. In this particular case, heaven is where God is seated and he sees your world. And it is the place that is, uh, it's a separate plane of existence and where worship is happening even now. We did cover it, didn't we? I did cover it earlier, didn't I? And what I want uh, to leave this particular part of the sermon with is the encouragement that your prayers are there. And at the risk of perhaps sounding more evocative than you're used to, your prayers have a delightful aroma to them. As the elders hold them, that's why they're called bowls of incense. They feel sometimes to us as though they do not have power, and yet here are the 24 elders with harps and with your prayers in their bowls. And all of this is a little bit beside the actual point of chapter 4. What is the point of these visions? It is that we see and be gripped by and learn from and be encouraged and strengthened by the worship of God. These elders and these beasts and these myriad of angels are worshiping. They're worshiping who God is. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. They increase. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. Moving to chapter 5. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. They're worshiping who God is. They're worshiping his creative power. They're, they're worshiping him because of his gospel that he ransoms people back to God through the work of the lamb. And as the image tests our imagination what it is whispering to us or shouting to us this is the only thing that can speak peace to your heart is the worship of the true lamb the scriptures call any other kind of worship idolatry and this particular text is not interested in idolatry it is interested in worship but as we consider our lives We seek peace in so many ways. And the world has convinced us that there is peace in so many other things. And this is the only way for our hearts to receive peace according to God and the revelation of Jesus Christ. The throne is a very busy place of worship with but one lamb. I'm trying to give you some uh, interpretive keys along the way, such as the importance of the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. Here's another one. Oftentimes throughout the book, John will hear something and then he'll see something. 
And he loves to let us live in the tension of what is, why did I hear one thing and see something that is that but is different? So he hears the lion of the tribe of Judah, this militaristic picture of conquering. Do you remember the importance of conquering in the book of Revelation? All Christ followers are told to conquer. The Ephesians are encouraged to do so, and in many respects, the entire rest of the book, following chapters 2 and 3, is a description of that. And so we're like, okay, let's do it. The church militant. And I am uncomfortable with that language. And yet here it is, all over Revelation. He hears the lion of the tribe of Judah. What does he see? The slain lamb. Seven horns, that's power. Seven eyes, that's the omnipresence of God over all things. What does that tell us? That conquering both for Jesus and for you and me is sacrificial love in the name of Christ. For the glory of God, as a way of loving neighbor, and even for our own flourishing, but in that order, conquering is learning to love sacrificially. Worshiping Him and then loving sacrificially those who God has put into our lives. For all of the thunder and the lightning and the horns and the eyes and the emeralds and the rainbows, the point is that we learn from the example of Christ that conquering is our calling and is defined as sacrificial love. And I wonder if you see the relevance of this passage. I know it's interesting, but do you see the relevance? Because what is unique about image bearers is what we worship. David Foster Wallace, the writer been dead for a few years now and his commencement speak at, speech at Berkeley said that is what you, is unique about humans is what they choose to worship. David Foster Wallace nowhere near follower of Christ. The four of you that I can't his stuff's too thick for me. I've only read a little bit of his work. Brilliant, brilliant man, brilliant writer and said What we know to be true, I hope, that is what is unique about image bearers, is the choice of what to worship. The creatures worship because it is natural to them. They worship God. Image bearers worship God and they even have some understanding of who he is. And do you realize the relevance right now? The world would convince us to worship stuff or to worship relationships, whether that's friendship or romance or your child. And when we worship those things, not only are we missing out on worshiping God, which is the only thing that can give peace to our hearts, we then disintegrate the relationship with either that thing or that person by worshiping it. Do you realize that? Those of you that are married, you at times, not often, because we're a very emotionally mature bunch, but at times have disproportionate emotion, I don't know why you're laughing, have disproportionate emotion towards our spouse. In that moment, at least part of the reason is you sometimes want them to deliver in ways they can't because they're another human. You're holding them up as an idol. At least part of the times that we have disproportionate relationships 
or disproportionate emotions with our spouse are because we've begun to ask of them things that they can't give. And what's so interesting about the Christian gospel with respect to relationships is when we worship God and nothing else, we receive those things back in a way that we flourish. This goes for friendship also. This goes for relationships with siblings also. Perhaps most profoundly, it affects those of us with children. When we idolize our children through their relative happiness, through their success, perhaps through their sports schedules, not only are we missing the worship of the true God, we're actually disintegrating the relationship with our child. I'm not saying they shouldn't play sports. You know that, right? Sports are great. I am saying that at times we shift into idolatry of the way we treat our children. And the tragic irony is when we worship God and Him alone, our children will come back as adults and we will be friends with them because we didn't idolize them. Our spouses are free to receive our love and love us in return because we're not asking them to be God for us. Our good friends, when we're so mad and we're crafting the perfect text because they didn't get back to us and we don't feel loved when we stop looking to the friendship to give peace to our heart but enjoy it, it is given back to us in such greater measure than we could imagine. Revelation 4 and 5 is not about idolatry. It is about worship. And I long for us all to be so gripped by it that when we show up on Sunday mornings and when we're praying on Tuesday afternoons or we're listening to worship music in our car, we realize that that is one of the most fundamental things we can ever do as a human being. It is the most profound experience to worship God, to remember that He has ransomed you. And what's given back to us are the things of life without idolatry, which disintegrates us and them. There is but one Lamb. He is the only one worthy of worship. And in worshiping Him, we give God the honor He is due by His holiness, which speaks peace to our hearts. We love our neighbors well, sacrificially, the way that Christ demonstrated. And we become who we truly are as image bearers of God, followers of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, temptation to idolatry is everywhere. With stuff, with relationships, with financial security. And it is because we are an anxious and a fearful bunch and angry. Holy Spirit, as we read again the picture of the throne that you gave to your servant John, Holy Spirit, would you draw us into authentic, joyful, profound worship and therein speak peace to our hearts. God, as we return to worship, would you warm our hearts with the power of your gospel, with the presence of your Holy Spirit, with the comforting assurance of your love. Amen.